Morning, everyone. Welcome to the Lord's House for Worship today. On the way home from church yesterday, there was an ad on the radio that said, legacies aren't given, they're made, or, or they're built. And the neat thing about us building a legacy is that when you build in Christ, it's a legacy that can never be torn down. That's what we're going to focus on today with our readings and devotion coming up. At this time, let's turn to our opening hymn, number 434.
please stand. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Beloved in the Lord, let us draw near with a true heart and confess our sins to God our Father, asking Him in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to grant us forgiveness. Holy and merciful Father, I confess that I am by nature sinful and that I have disobeyed you in my thoughts, words, and actions. I have done what is evil and failed to do what is good. For this I deserve your punishment both now and in eternity, but I am truly sorry for my sins, and trusting in my Savior, Jesus Christ, I pray, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. God, our Heavenly Father, has been merciful to us and has given His only Son to be the atoning sacrifice for all of our sin. Therefore, as a called servant of Christ and by His authority alone, I forgive you all of your sin. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, you commended Mary's lavish gift as a beautiful act of faith which would be remembered for generations. Use us also to bring you honor and glory long after you deliver us into our eternal inheritance by grace. For you live and reign with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Please be seated. First lesson is from First Chronicles, chapter 22. David said, My son Solomon is young and inexperienced, and the house to be built for the Lord should be of great magnificence and fame and splendor in the sight of all the nations. Therefore, I will make preparations for it. So David made extensive preparations before his death. Then he called for his son Solomon and charged him to build a house for the Lord, the God of Israel. Now, my son, the Lord be with you, and may you have success and build the house of the Lord your God as he said you would. May the Lord give you discretion and understanding when he puts you in command over Israel so that you may keep the law of the Lord your God. Then you will have success if you are careful to observe the decrees and laws that the Lord gave Moses for Israel. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. I have taken great pains to provide for the temple of the Lord a hundred thousand talents of gold, a million talents of silver, quantities of bronze, and iron too great to be weighed, and wood and stone. And you may add to them, you have many workers, stone cutters, masons, and carpenters, as well as those skilled in every kind of work, in gold and silver, bronze and iron, craftsmen beyond number. Now begin the work, and the Lord will be with you. Then David ordered all the leaders of Israel to help his son Solomon. He said to them, Is not the Lord your God with you? And has he not granted you rest on every side? For he has given the inhabitants of the land into my hands. 
and the land is subject to the Lord and to his people. Now devote your heart and soul to seeking the Lord your God. Begin to build the sanctuary of the Lord God so that you may bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and the sacred articles belonging to God into the temple that will, will be built for the name of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Continue with an anthem by the first through fourth graders.
Second lesson this morning is from 2 Peter chapter 1. This serves as a basis for the sermon. So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me and I will make every effort to see that after my departure you will always be able to remember these things. This is the word of our Lord. Continue with the duet.
Please stand for the gospel. The gospel according to Mark chapter 14. Now the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. While he was in Bethany reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, Why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She's done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them any time you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. This is the gospel of the Lord. We confess our faith with the creed. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father, through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven, was incarnate of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and became fully human. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who in unity with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Please be seated for the hymn.
in the name of him who is and who was and who is to come, fellow believers in our Lord Jesus Christ, the prayer is actually very, very simple. And if I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. There's a reason why we pray that, or we pray similar things in line with that. That's the great will of God. That is the will of the Almighty God, not just to forgive sins of sinners, but to save them for all eternity. He said that in 1 Timothy. God wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. He Full salvation is not just here on earth, though it's brought to you. It's when all these people come home finally to be with the Lord in heaven. That's the fullness of what he wants for you in Jesus Christ. Jesus had a will too, and Jesus, when he lived on earth, he lived to see that great will of God implemented. And so here he is, the night before he's about to die, in the garden, and he prays, not my will, but your will be done. If Jesus wouldn't have gone to the cross, the will of God would not have been put in place, would not be able to be carried out, and sinners would not be able to go to heaven. And so Jesus said, nothing else matters but your will, and that's what I live to see implemented and put into practice. And he did. What's fascinating is that usually upon somebody's death is when a will is put into place and when that will is carried out. But when it comes to Jesus, it it actually has all the more to do with his resurrection. He said, because I live, you also will live. It's that tremendous resurrection that leads us to see this is what God is going to give us. This is what he's going to bring to us. This is what he wants the great will of God to forgive sinners, to build them up in him, give them hope, and finally fulfill it so that you rise from the dead and live in glory forever. If the beginning of this sermon, it hasn't been made clear yet, God has a will. God put his will into place. God carried out his will. And God still carries out his will through the preaching of the gospel. Peter, in our lesson today, also had a will. And Peter wanted it put in place because he knew soon he was going to die. He says that right in our lesson with these words. It says, because I know that I will soon put it aside, and he's referring to the tent of the body. He called the body a tent. A tent is a temporal dwelling. And uh, so it's transitory, and he recognizes he's going from this world to the next. And so Peter, recognizing because he knew he was going to die, because he knew what was going to come, because he had full confidence in Jesus, he didn't pray, and if I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Peter's focus was a little different. Even though he had full confidence in that, he said this, and I will make every effort to see that after my departure, after I die, you will always be able to remember these things. His eyes were on you. 
Peter was looking at the next generation and all of the successive generations that were going to come thereafter. He says, with everybody coming, I am going to make the effort. I am going to make every effort humanly possible that you have the word of God, that you're able to grow in these things, that you're able to see these things, everything that's happened with Jesus. And what's fascinating with that kind of will that Peter was going to make every effort to put in place is that they already had the word of God. He's not writing to unbelievers. He's writing to Christians who already had the scriptures and he's saying, I want you to have more. He says, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have, it is right to refresh your memory. That Greek word to refresh the memory means to wake it up. Or another definition can be to stimulate it to stay awake. I just drove back recently from New Ulm, Minnesota late at night. <clears throat> Got back around 11 or so. But yeah, when, when you're driving in daylight and then it turns to dusk and then it gets to the dark hours, it, it's easy to say, where in the world did those last 10 to 20 miles go? <laughs> it's not that I was asleep, but wow. To stay awake is extremely important when you're driving and to stay alert. How long have you been driving your Christianity? Maybe it's still the daylight hours. Maybe it's middle day of your life. Maybe it's the waning hours of your life and it's turning to dusk and maybe soon it's going to turn to darkness. But to coast in your Christianity is not what Peter wanted. To refresh your memory to the great will of God, to stimulate it, to stay awake so that you have hope and to know what he's called you to, so that you don't coast with this and potentially lose it, <clears throat> but that you recognize what is truly yours, the inheritance you have in Jesus Christ. Do you have a will? Do you have something set up to recognize and, and, and to put together a plan for if you die before you wake? Nowhere in, <clears throat> excuse me, nowhere in the Bible does it ever say a, a Christian has to have a will. Nowhere does it ever say it's a sin to not have a will. I mean, you, we recognize times in life, those kids are just saying up here, I'm, I'm assuming none of them have a will. And yet, when you look at what Jesus teaches in the Gospels, he certainly teaches about neglect of finances. He, he teaches about wastefulness of finances. He teaches about mismanagement of finances. He teaches about not caring and taking care of your relatives and your loved ones with what you have. In fact, when there was a money manager that was given wealth in one of Jesus' parables who dug a hole and stuck it in the ground, when that manager came back or when the Lord came back and held him accountable, and all the guy did was dig it up and say, here it is. He called him, you wicked, lazy servant. That guy did not inherit eternal life. That guy did not receive the reward from the Lord for how he managed his affairs and more importantly, the Lord's affairs on earth. Jesus teaches a whole lot about how to handle these things and do them shrewdly and wisely. If statistics hold true, on average, only about a third of people in 
in maybe in our country have a will. Two-thirds of people, two-thirds of families don't have a plan in place to manage the blessings God has given. So you're at a time in life where it is appropriate to have a plan. Would that not be reckless? Is that not negligent to be in a position where this is truly important and not have something in place? What do you think Jesus, who is over all of these blessings that he doles out to his people, what do you think he would say to people that don't? Thank goodness. Thank goodness God provides a savior for even sins like that. And when you look at the cross that we just heard about in song, when you look at your Savior Jesus, when you look at what our Heavenly Father planned, He did it so that you wouldn't be wasted. He did it so that no person would be neglected. God loves the world of people. The only thing God can be accused of in a reckless sense is how much he loves people and wants to see them come to heaven. And every time you look at the Savior Jesus with the love that he has for you, that's what pours out. Is it too much to ask from that love? That we too, like our Lord, would manage wisely, would put a plan in place, and would care for the gifts that he's given to us? One of the major aspects of putting a will together is, is the financial aspect. In interviewing a, a, an estate lawyer for this sermon today, do you know what happens if you don't? If you die without a plan in place financially, the court's going to take a whole lot of that to figure out what to do with it. And while that's not a reason to do a will, that the government's going to take a whole lot of that money first and foremost, Christ is. Christ is your motivation to do these things and to do them well. And so my wife and I put one into practice. We, we have a will. We're actually on our second one. And we have planned to take care of our four children if we die before we wake. And I pause there because those of you who don't know, we only have three children. And I did not misspeak. In our will, we have planned to take care of our four children if we die before we wake. What does that mean? The fourth child that we don't have or that we actually do have in our will is the church. We have planned that a fourth of our estate one day, and we're shrewd people, we're hoping that's a, a good amount of money, goes to our church body, the wells. They trained me. They gave me this incredible gift to be able to share the word of God with you. It's an incredible thing through our schools and through the mentoring that's been given for my wife and me. We're really thankful for that. And we get to write a letter of intent that says how to divvy that up and to even give some to the church that we love and to the people and the ministry that we love. Now, there's a building project in the background here. And from talking to a number of you, there's a little bit of sticker shock with that, of how expensive it is. I understand. What do you think it's going to be in two to three years? What do you think that price tag is going to be in eight to ten years? What do you think it's going to look like in 20 years from now to build and to add on for ministry's sake? You know, we don't just pray prayers of, if I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Do you know what else we pray every Sunday? Your kingdom come. 
That's a prayer that says, Lord, we want you to bless the harvest. We want you to bring people in. We want the church to grow. We want to keep sharing the love that you have for sinners in Jesus Christ. We want this to grow out and, and imagine, I mean, this is a pretty full church on Sunday. Imagine even more people being here and the pews being even tighter and more chairs being set up in the narthex. So what happens in 10 to 20 years from now if we need a new church? What's that price tag going to be? 10 million? 15 million? 20 million? If there's sticker shock now with a building project, what is it going to take to further the ministry 10 to 20 years from now? If we don't start planning now with our estates for the long term, for the future, and shrewdly managing these things, growing and building the church to take care of the needs is going to become extremely challenging. But honestly, finances is not the greatest reason for putting a will together, though it's an important one. There are young families that I've talked to that say, Pastor, we've got a kid or two, um, but we still have a ton of college debt. We basically have no money to our name. Why in the world is a will important? We don't have finances yet. And actually, one of the greatest reasons for putting a will together is your children, your family. I'm one of seven kids. My wife is one of four. Where do our kids go if we die before we wake? Who gets them? The court now has to figure that out because we haven't told them. And that's going to take time and expense and what happens to the kids in the meantime. And actually, the person, the, the lawyer that I interviewed for this said, you know what? We don't want our kids to go to any of our relatives. We made really good friends along the way in life who hold our and share our views in our religion. We want our kids to go to them. But how on earth would a court ever know to look there if you and your will don't lead the court to look there in the first place? If your will is not put down for the court to look at, it's never going to know. And so having a will for the sake of your family, for your kids, even for a young family, becomes vitally and critically important. We've talked about finances. We've talked about your family. But the last aspect here is the very one that Peter, the Apostle Peter, talks about in this text. In, in a sense, it's called the ethical will. Peter, most importantly, didn't just want to take care in general of somebody's physical needs. He wanted in looking forward to the future, he wanted to care for their spiritual needs. He wanted to hand down the word of God to the next generation. And so what did he do? He set up a framework. As a parent, I understand, I cannot force my religion on my kids. But I... And Peter knew that too. You can't force Christianity. That is never what the Lord wants anyway. You don't force the next generation to believe. But you set them up with the framework of the word of God. And that's why we have Lutheran education here. That's why we have Sunday school here. You set them up with the framework to know the scriptures, to grow in the scriptures so that they have the best possible chance going forward to stay in the love of God and to receive this incredible inheritance. Isn't that what we want too? To set up the next generation. You can do that with a will. You don't just set up finances. You don't just set up, okay, here's where my kids go if I die. But you set them up with the framework to say, 
and here's where I want them to learn. Here's where I want them to go to church. Here's the religion in general that I want them to have until 18, until they can continue in it on their own. Peter said that himself here. I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. If that's what was foremost for Peter, why wouldn't we? Why wouldn't we do that for those we love? Why wouldn't we set them up with the best possible framework going forward? Why would we not, for the sake of the Lord and for the sake of our future, or their future, set up our finances, set up our family, and set them up with the Word of God to go forward in the best possible way? Whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, do it all for the glory of the Lord, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. If, if we want to give God glory in, in how we eat, during a football game, or how we drink at a celebration in the most basic things of life, if we want to give God the glory, how much more so in these important and weighty issues of life do we want to honor the Lord? I alluded to it already, but here we are at the end of a four-week sermon series on general principles of, of giving from the Bible. I alluded to my own situation, but I also asked Pastor Bodie, and this last week I asked Luther Curia, and both of them said they have a will in place as well for their family. I didn't interview any of the teachers, but in standing before you, teaching you about these principles about giving from the Word of God, I think it's extremely important that you know your leaders who are sharing the Word of God with you that we are giving from the heart, that we are giving generously, that we are giving in line with the plan, that we also are giving in line with the framework for the future, having these things set up in the best possible way to honor the Lord. These aren't just things we're teaching. These are things we ourselves believe and are doing. And as we join together in this, as we apply these things the Lord has brought to us from the scriptures and we put them into practice, having managed all of the blessings that God has entrusted to us, giving glory to him and honoring him in, in all of these ways, then you know what we get to do when we go to bed at night and lay our head down on the pillow? We just get to talk to the Lord about his gracious will. That if we die before we wake, we pray the Lord our soul would take. And this we ask for Jesus' sake. Amen. Please remain seated as we sing the Create in Me and then go to prayers.
Heavenly Father, by your good and gracious will, you set up our eternal inheritance in Jesus Christ. By your word, refresh us in the hope of heaven and the great work Jesus graciously did to open it to us. Move our hearts today to consider not simply our own legacy, but how to elevate yours on earth in our life or even after our death. Lord, there are two very special people here today who have established a remarkable legacy. Eugene and Rachel Robb celebrated on Wednesday and today formally 65 years of marriage. We praise you for bringing them together, for filling their home with children and pouring out an abundance of grace and every blessing on them over the years. Not only have they remained faithful to each other, but Lord, they've been faithful to you. And so today we thank and praise you for it and for them. Amen. Please stand. Our Lord Jesus Christ, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, gave thanks, and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant which is poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. And the peace of the Lord be with you always.
seated as we continue with the distribution.